I wanna talk to you guys about three different ways to retrain your brain to think, to know, and to believe that God is good. Three different ways to know, think, and believe that God is good. So you guys ready for this? You guys ready for this message? All right, sweet, let's go. All right, so the first way to retrain your brain to know that God is good is to retrain to think. Retrain to think. Watch what James 1, 7 says. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. What is this saying? This is saying that not only is God good, but all of the good things in your life are from God. All, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So if you find the good in something, you'll find the God in something. If you find the good in a situation, you will find the God in a situation. The issue is, and how many of you guys know this, that culture has trained us to think and to dwell on all of the negative parts of life. That we are, we are more susceptible to news than ever. So all you have to do is click on Facebook or turn on the news and you will see negative, bad things happening all over the world. That you have, um, you have bad things happening in other countries. You have bad things happening in this country. And you have bad things happening in your own backyard, in your own family. There's evilness happening everywhere. And what it's done is it's caused us to think and dwell on man's evilness instead of thinking and dwelling on God's goodness. We're like, man, God's evilness is everywhere. Which is a big wrestle for us, right? Like how can God be good when abuse is happening in the world? How can God be good if there is rape exists? How could God be good if he took away my parent or my child? How could God be good if I still have this sickness and it's not going away? How can God be good with all of this evilness everywhere? And so we have to posture ourselves into thinking about the good things in our life, to think about the, 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 um, the gifts that God's given you. We have to posture ourselves in thankfulness. And really, what would it look like that instead of maybe turning on the news first thing in the morning or, or clicking on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media it is for you and just seeing all the negative things going on, all of man's evilness all over the place, what if we woke up in the morning and decided to, to start our day in a posture of gratitude? I mean, that's what the scriptures say to do. I don't know if you guys know that, to start your prayers with thankfulness, with thanksgiving. So what would it look like if instead of focusing and, and starting our day in the negative that we actually postured ourselves in gratitude towards the things that God's given us. You know, I think about it all the time. I remember the, when I was in, um, so you guys know my story of like, I, was, I gave my life to the Lord in 2010. It was that year that I felt called to ministry. You guys have probably heard this part. And it was 10 years that uh, I had to wait I felt a, a pastoral, full-time calling to ministry, and 10 years later, um, I, I was able to finally walk in that promise and in, and in that calling. And I remember my first year of ministry. It was amazing. It was awesome. Like, I was so thankful. I had so much gratitude. And, it was, and, and I remember thinking 
that, okay, I don't want to lose this mentality. I don't want to lose this train of thought, this gratitude. I remember, like, I would do things, and I'd be like, I'm so thankful that I get to do this. I'm so in awe that I get to, that this is my job, and this is what I get to do. But how many of you guys know that gratitude is one of the most shortest-lived emotions nowadays? That you could be grateful or thankful for something, and then as soon as you put your head on your pillow at night, it's like it goes away. Or you're thankful or grateful for something that someone did, and then as soon as you send that thank you text, it's like as soon as you click send, that gratitude goes with the text. Or maybe like, you, you know, like there's some good things happening in your life and you have so much gratitude and then all of a sudden one bad thing happens and then the gratitude goes out the window. Like this one bad thing covers 10 good things. And so you think about this one bad thing instead of the 10 good things that happened before that. And so I was so thankful for, for you know, this job and being able to do this and had so much gratitude. And then about, it was about at the one year mark that they had a couple negative things that happened, a couple bad things that happened. Some people saying some things about me, some different, um, just different things dealing with people that I felt hurt. Like there was some things that, that was, was hurtful. And I remember starting to feel that gratitude slip. And I, and I had to fight for it. I had to get back to it because, because I wanted to stay in this posture of gratitude, stay in this posture of thankfulness. And hear me, I love my job. I do. I love what I do. Don't think I don't love my job because you can love your job and not be thankful for your job. You can love your job and not be thankful for your job, but not being thankful for your job causes you to not love your job. Not being thankful for the little things every day, focusing on all the negative things every day will cause you to not love something so quick, fall out of love with it so quick. That's exceptionally true with your spouses and with your kids, with your family, right? That you think about the negative and you focus on the negative and then all of a sudden you're falling out of love with it because why would you want to be a part of something that there's no good in? You know, it was, uh, a year, about a year ago, I was helping out this guy, I was discipling this guy and he was, he was going through a really tough season and, uh, and he was he was really trying to follow God, but it was like one thing after another. He was making a bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And there was this one situation where he like made a bad decision one night and it led to another bad decision and then another bad decision and another bad decision. It was a night filled with bad decisions. And so he, and it really messed up his life. Like he lost some of the closest people in his life to that one night that one night of bad decisions. And so I'm, I'm having lunch with him and, and I'm trying to get down to the root of it. Like, okay, what, what, what was going through your mind? And so I told him, I said, close your eyes. I said, close your eyes and think about the moment you made that first bad decision. Like, go back there. What was the thought that you had right before you made that decision? And you know what's the thought he said? He said, the thought that went through my mind was, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. You see, if the enemy can get you to believe that there's no good in something, he can get you to fall out of love with it and let it go quicker than anything. That's why divorce is at an all-time high, right? 
Like you have these people that they're like, they, they get married and then all of a sudden you start seeing all the negative. Like he doesn't do this and she doesn't do that. And well, he, I need someone like this or I need someone like that. And then if you convince yourself that there's no good in it, and if the enemy can convince you of that, you'll let it go so quick. Why, do, why would you want to be a part of something that there's no good in? But there's good in all situations. There's good in your life. You just don't see it because you've been trained to think about the negative. You can see how this is detrimental to your relationship with God. That if the enemy can convince you that he's not good, then he can convince you to fall out of love with him. And if he can convince you to fall out of love with him, then you'll end up turning your back and not following him. We have to understand this concept that there is good in life, that there is good that God has given you, that there is good in all situations because God is good and we have to trust that. We have to trust that God is good. Watch what Philippians 4 says. It says this. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, you guys catching a trend here? If there's anything, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. I love that he says, the, the, he starts the scripture off, he says whatever six times. Six times. He could have structured this, the, the scripture to just say whatever once. Like he, he could have just said whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Think about these things. But he doesn't. He says whatever six different times. Why? Because I think he really wants us to understand that whatever, like whatever, like whatever is good, whatever is worthy of praise, whatever those things are, Think about those things. Whatever is true, whatever, like it doesn't matter what it is. If it's good, think about it because like James 1 said, it is from God. It is a gift from God. So if you think about the good things in your life, you think about the God things in your life, the gifts from God that are in your life, think about whatever is good. And then it says, and the peace of God will be with you. The peace of God. Can I be honest with you? I think some of you haven't felt peace in decades. But you've just kind of learned to operate outside of peace. Maybe even convinced yourself that peace, that's just something for kids. Like now that I'm an adult and I actually have a lot of serious things going on or these different things happening to me, that, that peace is not achievable. Peace isn't something that I can do or I can get. I can't operate in peace. Some of you just learned to operate that way. But Paul is saying here that there is peace. Peace is attain, uh, attainable. You can attain it, but it starts here. It starts with thinking about the things in your life that are good and focusing on those things. You have to trust these scriptures. You have to trust that whatever these scriptures are saying, that there is peace to be had and it's in your thinking because that's what Philippians 4 says. Which leads me to my second point. The second way to know and to believe and to, that God is good, to retrain your brain to know that God is good, is to retrain to trust. 
retrained to trust. Look what Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What is this scripture saying? It's saying, it's pretty clear, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So whatever situation you're in, your thoughts are not as good as God's, right? Amen? So your ways are not as good as his ways. No matter what you find yourself in, no matter what you think you need to do, no matter what you think the outcome needs to be, God's ways are greater than that. You might think that, well, I need to do this, this, and this in order to attain, attain like goodness in my life, and your life actually might look the opposite, and you have to trust that God's ways are greater. And we see that all throughout Scripture. You see that all throughout Scripture. You got Joseph, Joseph, who's, uh, who was literally sold into slavery, but God had a plan for him. Did you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that was literally thrown into a literal fire furnace? But God had a plan. That you had Paul that was thrown into a prison, but God had a plan. And how many of you guys know that Jesus may have been put on a cross, but God had a plan? And so what would it look like? What would it look like if we took on that mentality in our lives? That you know what? I might have just lost my job, but God has a plan. That you know what? This situation really sucks, but God has a plan. You know what? My, my son or my daughter, they're gone and they don't want anything to do with me, but I know that God has a plan for my life. What would it look like if we thought about and trusted that God has a plan no matter what situation we find ourselves in? And I think this, is, this plays out like in a very big way, and I think this plays out in a really small way too. Because I remember uh, when me and Ashley, we were going to the Crowley campus for a while. We started off like, you know, we were going to the Crowley campus for a few years. We started the youth group there, and so we were, uh, we were, we were sold in, you know, going and we were looking for a house in Crowley because we felt like we just needed to move. You know, the youth group was growing and it was good, and so we needed to move to the community that we were serving in. So we're trying to find a house in Crowley, um, and nothing was working out. I don't know if you guys know this or not about Crowley, Louisiana, but Crowley, Louisiana is 75% in a flood zone. And so you could buy a house in a flood zone, and it's going to be ridiculously high flood insurance, or you could buy a house not in a flood zone where the owner knows that you don't have to pay ridiculously high flood insurance and has the price way skyrocketed high. And so we were looking for, we probably look at, looked at dozens of houses, almost closed on three of them, and it just wasn't working out. And then thrown into the mix, Ashley gets pregnant. So give you guys a little bit of perspective here. At the time, me and Ashley, we were living in Mermintal at Castex Landing in a 700-square-foot camp out there. And then Ashley gets pregnant, and we're like, we got to find another house. <laughs> a little one-bedroom, square, 700-square-foot house is not going to cut it for an actual family. And so we like start looking even more. House after house, nothing was working out. Nothing was happening. And then I got the job here. 
I got the job in Jennings, and so we're like, okay, let's start looking for a house in Jennings. Start, like, you know, let's just visit the idea. Let's see if we can find something. We were super discouraged at that point. Now, granted, we did find a new realtor, so we found this realtor, and so she says, all right, so out of the gate, I found four houses in your price range. I'm going to show you all four houses. So day one, like day one of looking at houses in Jennings, she shows us four of them. We buy house three. Day one, we find the house that we were looking for. And I remember being so frustrated. I was like, God, why are you not providing a house? Like we literally, like Ashley ended up having Emerson and we're living in a 700 square foot house. I'm like, God, you gotta, like, you gotta provide. Can I tell you something? I'm so thankful that we never bought a house in Crowley. My mentality would have been different if I took on like, you know what, God, this house may have fallen through. You know what, this, this, uh, this might really suck, but I know you have a plan. And your ways are greater than my ways and your thoughts are greater than my thoughts. But I didn't. I was just frustrated. I was just mad. Watch what Romans 8 says. Romans 8, Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for his good. I love that Paul says here, because I love reading this, because he says, and we know that. Like, no, Paul, we don't know that. <laughs> all thing, we know that all things work together for the good of those who are called. No, no, Paul, we don't. We don't know that all things are going to work out for good. You know, like, some of us are in situations right now, and we're like, I don't see how this is going to work out for good. But Paul's like, no, we know. No, Paul, we don't know. You know. Paul, you know. <laughs> Paul knows. He knows that, that scripture in Philippians 4 that we read earlier, that whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, think about these things, the peace of God will be with you, that scripture. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Paul wrote that in jail. So you want to find the peace of God? Think about these things. You want to find the peace of God in a jail cell? This is how you do it. Paul, we may not know how uh, that, that God will work things out for good, but Paul knows because he's been there and he's done that. Watch what uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, verse 23. It says, I am talking like a madman. This is Paul talking. For with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews for four, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Some of us know what that feels like. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. He's like, oh, I'm danger. I got danger in the city. Oh, nope, danger in the wilderness too. Oh, danger at sea as well. Danger from false rivers, I mean, false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst. Some of us know what that feels like too. Often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. I think Paul knows a thing or two about sucky situations and finding the peace of God in it. Finding the purpose in those bad situations. That Paul says, for we know, 
We know that God works things out because he knows that he's been shipwrecked. He's been starving. He's been thirsty. He's been in the cold. He's been beaten. He's been betrayed. And he can clearly say, you know what? But I got the peace of God because I found the good in every situation. I found the God in every situation. Can I tell you that that can be the force field for you in, in life? the thing that protects you from any situation, that death could be all around you, but death doesn't need to go through you, that just because you're um, going through something does not mean you need to be defeated, that you don't, it's not time to tap out and call it quits, it's time to tap in and say, you know what, I follow a God of victory and I'm gonna be victorious in this. God didn't go to the cross for you to admit defeat and sit in the back seat of your life. That we can step back into the ring because we know we, we are going to win because we know the champion of that game, of that situation. You know, can we put together this victim mentality? Like, finally just kind of put it to death. Can we move from having a victim mentality to victory mentality? That God is victorious of this situation. That God is with me, and because God is with me, nothing can stand against me. That there's nothing that, God, that life can throw at me that God will not have a purpose for. That you still have breath in your lungs, so it's not the end. And for many of you, this can just be the beginning. The beginning that the, I, didn't, I haven't seen a valley that's deep enough that God can't meet someone in. God can be with you. God can, can be in that valley. We have to put to death this woe is me mentality. Oh, nothing good happens to me. Everything sucks. No, like, you know, at the end of the day, you have the gospel. That you have something to be thankful for. Something is good in your life because the savior of humanity was God himself and he took what you deserve so you can get what he deserves. And that's something to be thankful for. And that's something to live for. Something to find purpose in. Something to find peace in. That, that there is breath in your lungs and so there is breath still to be breathed and it's fresh and it's new and it's ever changing and it will forever change your life. Which leads me to my third point. The third way to, uh, to retrain your brain to know and to believe and to trust that God is good is you have to retrain to take a breath. Retrain to take a breath. How many of you guys have been like, something about going into the country, it has different air. It's fresh, right? It's, it's more fresh. Like this, it, it's something about it lifts my mood when I'm like, I'm not in town anymore and I'm in the country and I'm not breathing in all the pollution. There's a fresh air that gets brought in, into my lungs and it, it lifts my mood. Some of you don't need a three-point message. Some of you don't need a one, two, three to get out of depression. Some of you don't need a one, two, three to find the good in this situation. Some of you just need the fresh breath of the God himself. Like the miraculous, otherworldly God of the universe sweeping into this place to give you a new breath. You know, I spoke on this to the youth um, a couple weeks ago, but there's a story in Ezekiel 
so God takes Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37, and God takes Ezekiel and he puts them into a valley of dry bones. And the scripture says that God takes Ezekiel like in and around and through all these different dry bones just so he sees every single one of them, every single dry bone. And then God asks Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel's like, I love his response because it's almost, I would, I would debate it sarcastic because he says, God, you know, like, are you even asking me that? Like, you know, you know that these bones can live. You know the power that you have. You know, like, why are you even asking me this? You know that these bones can live. And so God tells Ezekiel, he says, then prophesy over the bones. tell, Tell these bones, say my word over these bones. And so Ezekiel does just that. And the scripture says that the bones, these dry bones, they begin, there was a loud sound and these dry bones begin to come together. And then muscles begin to grow on the bones and, and ligaments and, um, and tendons begin to connect the muscles to the bones and then skin begins to grow around the bones and they look like people again. The miraculous happened. That God took dry bones and made them look like people. But watch what Ezekiel 37 says. It says this in verse 8. It says, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. And as I was reading this a couple weeks ago, I felt like the Lord was saying, Dustin, this is my church. That, that, That I've done the miraculous that they've seen freedom from addiction, that they've, they've seen my, what I can do, they've seen my otherworldly like, um, power in their lives, that they've, uh, they've seen, they, I've taken dry bones and I've put in muscles back on them, I've grown tendons and skin back on these dry bones, but they still don't have any breath. And I think there's people in here that you've seen God work in your life, but you still are more depressed than ever that you're still anxious, that you're still suicidal, that, that God might have changed your life, but you still aren't breathing. It's like you're, you're drowning and you just can't come up for air. Can I tell you that God didn't just save you to get you to heaven, but he saved you to get heaven down on earth. He wants to see heaven on earth in your life. And so I, I love that. Watch what, this isn't the end of the story though, but watch what it says continuing in Ezekiel 37. And then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Some of you need some new breath today. This fresh breath. And and my prayer for you is that the four winds of the Holy Spirit, just like in Ezekiel 37 says, sweeps in this place. I I love this idea of wind Because what does wind do but takes out stale air and brings new air in? And then there's these four winds working in bringing a new, fresh, otherworldly air into this place this morning. 
Some of you just need to be in the presence of God. You know, you can like hang out with people and people can talk about how, how cool someone is. Like, man, this guy's so awesome. This girl's so cool. Man, they have all these different things. They say this. Like, oh, man, they're so cool. And you might know or you might believe that they're cool or they're good because someone told you. But how many of you guys know that you don't know whether or not someone's good until you're in their presence, until you see you're with them and that you see how awesome they are. You see how good they are. Some of you just need to get in the presence of God, this presence that changes everything, this presence that can take dry bones and put them together this presence that can take dead bodies and cause them to breathe again. This presence that changes your perspective in all areas of your life. This presence that can lift you out of depression in an instant. This presence that can kill anxiety in you, that can stop addictions in a heart in a second. That kind of presence, and yes, sometimes he does that, and sometimes it's a process, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you just need the presence of God to know that he's good, to change your perspective. What would it look like if us as a people, no matter what situation was thrown at us, no matter what problems we were having, no, ma no matter what evilness mankind has caused in our lives, that we are with God so much that we know of his goodness. And people look at us and they're like, you should be destroyed. You should be broken. How are you still standing? And our reply might just be, you know what? I don't know. I just have this fresh breath, this new life that, that, that I didn't have before. And it's only by God's presence that I'm still standing here. Some of you know that. Some of you are like Paul and you've been there and done that. It's time to start telling other people about it. Encourage others with what God's done in your life. Writing it down, the times that God's been faithful in your life. You want, you want to retrain your brain to know, to believe that God is good? You've got to retrain to thank Thank him for the good things in your life. Look for them. Seek after them and find them because they are there. And then you got to trust that he's going to work all things out for you. And then you just got to learn to breathe again. And so with every head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to know who I'm praying for. No one's looking around. If you're in here today and you feel like you say, man, Dustin, that is me. I need to retrain my brain. I've been struggling with this lie that God isn't good for too long. I've been convinced of it. The world has convinced me of it, but I'm ready to put it to death today. If that's you, can you just raise your hand for me? All across this room, if that's you, every head bow. Okay, I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you in the back. I see you right here in the middle. Maybe you're in here and you've never even felt the presence of God. Maybe you're here and you know, even as I was saying this, even as I was telling you these things, that you know that you are that dry bone. That you don't have muscles on you. 
that you don't have tendons or ligaments on you, that you definitely don't have any breath because you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never taken that next step and just to commit your life to him. If that's you, with no one looking around, can, we, can you raise your hand right now? Just say, I, that's me. I'm ready to take that next step. Okay. Let's pray. God, I pray for every single person in here who's raised their hand and and the ones who didn't because they were maybe too worried about what other people would think or just not ready. God, I pray that your four winds sweeps into this place and that we walk out of here with fresh new life and new breath and new beginnings, that this is a fresh start. This is something, this is going to be a milestone in which we walk out of here knowing that you're good, believing that you're good, walking out what is it, what it means to know that you're good, God, that nothing can be thrown at us, that you are our cornerstone that holds our life together. That you meet them in the valleys that they're in, God. That you pick them up out of the water so they can breathe. God, only you can do that. Only you can do that. And I pray that you do that right now, God. I pray that your Spirit of peace, just land on this place. Some of us feel peace for the first time in years because they know you and they feel you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.